I'm going to go ahead and pray, and then we're going to get into the Word. Jesus, thank you so much for your Word. And that it never turns back void, God. And that we're to humble ourselves before you, God. And just ask, Holy Spirit, that you would guide, guard, and direct us, Lord. That you would take the time, Lord, to chase after us, Lord. Thank you that you do that, that that's what you're about, and that we would take the time to connect with you, Lord. Thank you for your word, God. We just humble ourselves before you, Lord. And just ask that you would just continue to work in our lives as you see fit. If there's anything here, Lord, that's not of you, that you'd remove it in the name of Jesus. Lord, any concepts that we have, God, that are not of yours, that you would tear them right now in the name of Jesus, you'd remove them, Father. Any barriers, God, that we have, whether we're thinking about lunch or dinner or family or anything, God, that in your presence, God, not my presence, not because of me speaking at all, but because of your word, Lord, in the presence of your word, God, will the mountains of our life melt like wax, Lord. Give us clear insight and vision, Lord. Holy Spirit, just ask that you would just write upon our hearts, on the fleshly tablets of our hearts, Lord. May we not leave this place, God, myself included, Lord, missing out on what you have for us, God, today. Just thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to be, the majority of our text is going to be Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 40. And as I was preparing when Austin asked me to speak, I was thinking about, okay, you know, what are you going to speak on? You always start asking, Lord, what is this? Because I'm not going through a book verse by verse, so I had to, you know, figure this out. And so the Lord put this on my heart. And the title of the message is, Christmas is over, now what? Now Christmas is over, now what do we do? What's the next great thing, right? Well, Christmas was over for Mary and Joseph, right? You know, I was thinking, I was thinking about this. You know, we, we, we live in a society where we have glamorized Christmas. Gina asked me the other day, why do we give presents to each other? Like, what's the whole point of that? I was like, well, we're celebrating the birth of Jesus. Like, when we have a celebration, we give something, but... Why do we give something? Do we give something because there's an expectation to receive a gift, or do we give something because we're excited and we want to celebrate what that person represents? You know, when I celebrate my marriage on our anniversary, I celebrate that Gina decided to marry me. I mean, that's a miracle in itself. <laughs> it's my uncle. He, he knows me. <laughs> so... You know, when we celebrate the birth of a child, right, we celebrate because we're happy. I mean, that a child actually lives out of birth, and I don't mean this in any derogatory way, but it's a miracle that us as adults actually are here. I look at my children, I go, how did we survive? You know, as parents, like, I'm going to look at my kids, how, how did you survive? Like, my two-year-old has already split his head open. Nehemiah almost lost an eye when he was the same age. I mean, there's, we, we run around and we have these physical bodies, and how do we actually survive? It's crazy. And so we celebrate these birthdays, right? So let's go ahead and get into our text. Luke chapter 2, verse 21 through 40 is what we're going to read, and we're going to jump around in the Bible a little bit today. Verse 21. And when eight days were completed from the circumcision... I'm sorry, for the circumcision of the child, 
His name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Now, when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. Verse 24, and to offer a sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of two, I'm sorry, a pair of turtle doves or two young pigeons. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon or Simon, and some writers have written commentation about that. And this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he came by the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you, have, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples, a light to bring revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. And Joseph and his mother marveled at those things which were spoken of him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel, and for a sign which will be spoken against. Yet a sword will pierce through your own soul, I'm sorry, yeah, through your own soul also, that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed." Verse 36, now there was one Anna, a prophetess, the daughter of Phanuel. I have a hard time with some of these words for names, of the tribe of Asher. She was of a great age and have lived with a husband seven years from her virginity. And, his, and this woman was a widow of about 84 years who did not depart from the temple, but served God with fastings and prayers night and day. And coming in that instant, she gave thanks to the Lord and spoke of him to all those who looked for redemption in Jerusalem. So when they had performed all things according to the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own city, Nazareth. Verse 40. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was upon him. So we're going to look at Jesus in the beginning of his birth. You know, a lot of times we see the manger and the wise men and the cattle are lowing and then the magi come and that's actually not the right timeline, believe it or not. And then, you know, the star and then, and then where'd Jesus go after Christmas? A lot of us, we go to when he's 12. But this section that the Holy Spirit allows us to read in these verses, is there's so much in here pertaining to who Jesus is before he was even crucified on the cross, who he is as a human. Remember, Jesus is God 100%, right? Can I get amen? And Jesus is human 100%. He's both. Let's not lose, and don't get me wrong, God is my savior, my strength, he is my all in all, he sustained me through many things and sustains all of you, even to this day. But let's not lose the fact that he was human. 
I believe that a lot of times that we can look at God, we can look at Jesus, and he's way up here, way up there. And the Lord put on my heart that there's people in here today that need to know that God is approachable. If we have a Savior that's unapproachable, then why in the world would we even sing songs about him being approachable or him doing things for us? I want a relationship with somebody where I'm approachable. My dad's here today, and you know what? We have not always seen eye to eye on things, but even when we're frustrated, we are approachable to each other. We communicate with each other. And trust me, I'm 46 years old, and he's 73, and man, we go like this, I think, sometimes. But we still talk. We're approachable. You may go in like this with God. God, why aren't you doing this? Why aren't you fixing this? Why isn't this happening? Why is this person doing this? Why is my life in this place? I have felt that way about this church plan. Lord, we picked this place for us to go. It's perfect in a park. It's 112 bucks a month. I can mow a lawn to afford that. It's right in the community. It's where kids are. It's where the pool is. And then they say, no, we can't use it. Okay, I got this other church that's a Seventh-day Adventist church. And then the congregation says, you don't worship on the same day that we do. No offense. I'm not bitter. But those are things that happen in our lives where we can actually look at focus on what is wrong and miss sight on what God actually is doing. And Mary and Joseph absolutely had everything to focus on possibly in their life where it could be wrong. She was pregnant before having relations with her husband. Her husband was contemplating divorcing her. Who intervened? Can you guys tell me who intervened on those two situations? God. Did they say, God, will you please, did Joseph go, God, will you please intervene? I'm going to divorce Mary. No. He was considering divorcing Mary, and God stepped in and changed the trajectory of his life against all odds. And I challenge you today, are you willing to let God change the trajectory of your life? Are you willing, even when the odds are against you? Mary and Joseph were. So we look in verse 21 through 23. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus. And Jesus was a common name, by the way. The name given by the angel before he was conceived. So this name was given to him prior to the conception in the, in the womb. Now when the days of her purification according to the law of Moses were completed, they brought him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. Verse 23, it states this, as it, as it was written in the law of the Lord. Go to Leviticus if you want to learn the law of the Lord. We're going to read a bit of that pertaining to this. Every male who opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. And there's also uh, a piece of this, you guys know in Exodus, right? When um, the angel of the Lord was uh, putting, was killing the firstborn of everything in Egypt to go against the Pharaoh, and the Lord called his people, hey, if you want to be saved from this, put your blood on the mantle. If you didn't do that, firstborn child would be gone. So, so the firstborn that opened a womb was presented to God as a, as a miraculous thing in remembrance of those, what had happened in Exodus. But the law of the Lord states this, Leviticus chapter 12, verse 2 through 3. And this is what Mary and Joseph were following. And this is God speaking to Moses. Speak to the children of Israel, saying, If a woman has conceived 
and born a male child. I love in King James, it says a man child. I think it's so funny. And born a male child, then she shall be unclean seven days. Okay, seven days. It's important that you guys understand this. As in the days of her, as in the days of her customary impurity, she shall be unclean. Verse three. And on the eighth day, the flesh of his foreskin shall be circumcised. Then verse 4, it says this, She shall then continue in the blood of her purification 33 days. She shall not touch any hallowed thing, nor come into the sanctuary until the days of her purification are fulfilled. How many days is that? It's 40. So Jesus is born. Okay, I believe the shepherds came. They were local. They came. God used them to confirm, right? So they became the first people excited about Christ came. They didn't just go to the manger and go, wow, cool, and then go off back out to the field. Could you imagine? This was the proclaimed Savior of the world, like Austin preached a couple weeks ago. 400 years, God's Spirit hadn't said anything to anybody. These shepherds were so excited, and they left telling everybody. I'd tell everybody, and let me ask you this. As a Christian, if you have Jesus in your heart, and he saved you from yourself, because that's what he saves us from first is our sin. And then the reality is, is that I'm not going to hell. And if Christ is in your heart, you're not going to hell because Jesus Christ died on the cross and broke the bondage of all of that because sin takes us that, being separated from God for eternity. But because Christ is in you, you're not separated from God for eternity. And let me ask you this. Are you telling people about that? It's not the pastor's job to tell people about Jesus. It's the body of Christ to tell people about Jesus. God just decided to make me a fool and put me on stage. So you see, this was done so Jesus might fulfill every aspect of the law. Plus, this shows that Joseph and Mary were truly devout. They were obedient parents. They obeyed God's command in Leviticus 12. So Jesus obeyed it also. How old was Jesus? 40 days old. But he's God. Why is he having to obey the law? He came to abolish the law. Keep that in your mind. Bible commentator Alexander White writes this. I love this. For he who knew no sin and who never was to know sin, because Christ was sinless, he didn't know sin, was already in his circumcision made sin for us. Jesus was made sin for you before he went to the cross. He carried the burden of our sin the day that he came out of Mary. That was his place. No other place. And he knew it. He was not so much as eight days in this world till he began to be numbered with the transgressors. That's a miracle for you and me. That the God that created, if you go to John 1.1, it speaks of Jesus being the creator of the heavens and the earth. He was numbered with us. Remember what I said, that God is approachable. Do you have that attitude towards the Lord, that he's approachable? Or is it just on Sundays? Or is it just when you do communion? Or is, it, is he approachable when you're in the bathroom? Is he approachable when you're driving your car? Is he approachable when you're angry at your boss, when you're angry at your kids, when you're loving your kids, when all this thing in your life is going, is God approachable for you? Because God has made himself approachable. So then the question becomes, why am I making God not approachable? Commentator continues to write this. 
Mary's firstborn son was a lamb without blemish and without spot. But before he was a week old, he began to bear the sins of many. And as he began in the temple that day, so he continued every day to lead a life of pain and shame and bloodshedding for us, for our children, till he finished on the cross the sin-atoning work his father had given him to do. See, there was a work Jesus had to do. And ever after that first day of his wounding of our transgressions, that holy thing bore in his body the marks of our redemption. And that was Bible commentator Alex, Alexander White. Isn't that amazing? You don't even get past verse 21 through 23 in Luke 2. This is what happened after Christmas. And this is what happens every day of every waking hour that God has given you breath in your lungs. Gina and I talk about this. Gina tells me this. I have breath in my lungs because God has called me to be about his work until the breath in my lungs is gone. That's what I'm going to do. And everything in our life tries to take us off of that trajectory. Because, see, God made us in his image. He designed all of us to have an exuberant, Holy Spirit-filled, empowered life so that the world would go, why are you different? What's wrong with you? Can you tell me about this? What do you mean? What's, well, you don't cuss when you're mad. You pray with your, ki your kids. Your kid starts praying. Well, what's up with that? Verse 24 says this, and to offer sacrifice according to what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of two turtle doves, of turtle doves or two young pigeons. So, it's interesting to note, Mary and Joseph were poor. If you go into Leviticus and you read chapter 12, 1 through 8, I skipped out a part there because it talked about bearing a daughter, which for whatever reason... You have to be impure even longer for a daughter, so a woman, I don't know why. But then it talked about how you would bring a lamb, okay? And then if you couldn't bring a, you couldn't bring a lamb, you would have the opportunity to bring turtle doves or a pair of pigeons. Well, the offering of two turtle doves or two pigeons was considered a poor person's offering. I want you to get this, Okay? And this, this is what I believe the Lord wants to drive home to us, is that Jesus is approachable, okay? If there's anything inside of you today that has a concept or a thought that God is not approachable, that Jesus is not approachable, it's false. And this is why. Because Jesus did not leave any room for a barrier to be between us in a social way, a financial way, a physical way. Nothing. Isaiah wrote about Jesus' looks. Do you know all the pictures of Jesus are wrong? You know, they probably look like, he probably looked like Lee, but maybe darker in color. No offense. He probably looked like me. He probably looked like one of you. He was common. Absolutely common. His name was common. His parents were common. His parents were poor. And they offered this offering of a poor family. We read in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, it says this. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that through that that though he was rich, rich because he's God, right? 
He owns a thousand cattle on a thousand hills. You read in Revelation what the scenery is in heaven. There's nothing poor about the scenery of Jesus being on the throne and the 24 elders throwing their crowns at his feet and the seraphim saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And every time that those seraphims say that, the 24 elders get on their face before God and they throw their crowns down and that happens all the time forever. And that's happening right now. And that's who Jesus is. But he came down and became one of us. What the heck? I wouldn't have done it. You wouldn't have done it. I would have been, I love this gold. I love these crowns. But God allowed, Jesus, God allowed his son to come here. So check it out. The second part of, of 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says this. Yet for our sake, for your sakes, he became poor. That you through his poverty might become rich. Jesus is approachable. If you think, Lord, my life is poverty, God, I, I can't come to you. I got all this, these barriers. It's a lie. We just need to get on our knees and cry out in necessity for a Savior. During service, I was thinking about how all these chairs in the front here are empty. No offense. People love sitting in the back. But, and, and Austin and I were talking about this, and I pray about this, that the barrier between the stage and the people would go away. See, in our American society, we think that there's this separation between the preacher and the congregant when the reality is, is that we're all sinners saved by grace. And we all need to come in contact with the true and living God and his word is powerful and it's sharper than any two-edged sword. And when someone reads it, it does a work in your heart. The question is, is our heart too hard to hear God? Mine is sometimes. Trust me, Gina tells me that. I tell Gina that. We argue about things. God uses us to sharpen each other. She's my best friend. And she's like, you're being prideful. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Yeah, I am. I can't, you can't deny it, right? So when God starts working in your life through his word, what's keeping us from receiving the truth of Jesus? What's keeping Brian from receiving what God's word speaks to me? Philippians chapter 2, verse 6 through 7 talks about God's Character towards us as well, pertaining to Jesus here. It says, who being in the form of God. So he's God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. In other words, he didn't consider not leaving heaven, but made himself of no reputation. No reputation. How many of us have a reputation? Maybe on Facebook. How many of us are millionaires and we have the paparazzi running after us and our limousines waiting outside? No, none. I, I, please, donate to the church plant if you're here. It's the end of the year. But I'm serious. And I think we lose the fact that Jesus is common. God guaranteed that God himself would come Jesus would come, sorry I mince those words because there's Jesus the Son, Jesus, God the Father and the Holy Spirit, they're all one. When I witness to people, I'm like, are you talking about God or Jesus? Like, what are you talking about here? But God allowed us to be able to come to him in such a way. So he himself made himself of no reputation. Man, if I had a son like Jesus, he'd be like the reputation, he'd be reputable. So he took the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. A bondservant. Man, how humbling is that? I am not a good servant. But this is who Jesus was. 
Verse 25 of Luke. And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And, and this man was just and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So it's important to see this. I want you guys to understand this. This is prior to Acts. This is prior to the church. This is prior to the Holy Spirit being poured out. This is prior to Jesus actually getting past being 40 days. So he didn't die on the cross. He didn't get resurrected. He didn't ascend into heaven. And he did. the Holy Spirit didn't come upon the believers. But we see here clearly that the Holy Spirit was moving in this guy named Simeon. So let me ask you this. What's in your way of the Holy Spirit moving in your life? What's in the way of the Holy Spirit using you to save souls, using you to pray for your children? We look, and, and I, I apologize the way I preach. I preach like with a big stick sometimes, and I have to remember not to beat the sheep, but I'm speaking to myself because what's at stake is eternity. Eternity. That's what's at stake. Are we doing whatever it takes to be heavenly minded? Simeon did. Simeon was devout. He knew the Lord. He knew the law. He knew the scriptures. Some commentators stated that he was possibly a priest. So let's pause and take this moment of the example of Simeon's life. We read here that Simeon was just. So in other words, he was, he was good to people. We, we read, and so he was a godly man. We read here that he was devout, which meant that he carefully observed the things of God. I read this and I'm like, do I carefully observe the things of God? Do I carefully observe the things of God? And here's where it rubber meets the road. I'm convicted as I'm speaking this because I got family in the room. In my attitude and the way I act towards people. I mean, up here I can be whatever, right? But in my parents' house or with my aunt and uncle or with my, my wife, my kids... Our, is our life, do we observe the things of God in our actions? So he was waiting for the consolation of Israel. What's the consolation of Israel? Jesus. There are certain people that were waiting. They were waiting. How many of you guys have ever waited for vacation from work? You're waited for that check. How many of you have ever been married? You're waiting for your marriage day so you guys can do what married people do. Or maybe get away from your parents. I don't know. My grandmother got married. She's passed away. Praise the Lord. She's in heaven. She got married so she'd get out of the house. That happened back then. How many of you are waiting? What are you anxiously waiting for? What are you anxiously waiting for? Maybe for me to shut up so you can get out of here. But I'm serious. These people were waiting not like you wait for an elevator. Not like you wait for your spouse to get out of the bathroom. Not like you wait for your kids to be obedient. Not like that. Waiting with absolute determined expectation that God was going to fulfill his purpose because his word is truth. Do we believe that in our society? Because our society nowadays is tearing that down. Our society is tearing that down. Are we waiting, excited, expecting God to do great works? I am waiting and excited and expecting God to do something great in Oliverhurst. 
I don't know how it's all going to work out. I don't have a team of people. I don't have a budget of $100,000. I don't have any of that. But you know what? One day, God came from heaven and spoke to me while I was a drug addict and said, Brian, just talk to me. Tell me how you feel. I want to hear from you. And I knew the Lord, but my heart was seared because of my sin, and it was seared off from God. And I found myself, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but this is the power of God working in somebody's life when you're not expecting it because he loves us. I was in my teens or 20s, very dark time in my life. I was using methamphetamines and anything I could get my hands on. A good day for me back then was being high by 11 a.m., believe it or not. But I'd go through these seasons, man, where God would just grab a hold of me, and I'd go to church and praise the Lord, and six months would be great, and then, boom, something would happen, and I'd be gone. Because I love pleasure. See, the Bible's not pleasurable. <laughs> it is when you <laughs> submit to it, but getting to that submission part, it's hard. But God knows how to make that work. So I found myself in my parents' house in Modesto. That's where I grew up. In the backyard, after being high on methamphetamines for a day or so, and I was coming down, and I was outside, and I, I, my mom and I had this weird relationship. I, I don't know. I felt guilty. My mom, she has a green thumb. Everything grew great. And she, I, I, I don't know. I was in the backyard, and I felt guilty. And I, I got on my knees, and I was pulling weeds out of the grass, thinking of my mom. Probably because I felt guilty because I was breaking my parents' heart. I was living at their house. I wasn't there praying. I wasn't in church service. I wasn't reading the Bible. I was sinning. And the Holy Spirit went like this. Brian. See, God knew I'd be on my knees. And in a broken state, he goes, speak to me. And I was so embarrassed, I was like, no, I can't talk to you. I've been too bad. Because I was a believer. You can be a Christian and, and go sin, okay? God gives us that free will. You think Adam and Eve weren't, I mean, how close can you possibly get? Adam and Eve walked with God in the cool of the day. And Satan came along, right, and tempted them. They sinned walking with God physically. So here I was, and God was knocking on my heart. Brian, talk to me. I need you to talk to me. I want to know where you're at. Please speak to me. And I told him no. Now, this is like, the, what, uh, God almost audibly spoke, but it was in my soul. We all have a soul. It's right here. I, I know where it's at. I'm a doctor. Just kidding. But it's in the depth of who we are. Whenever you see heart or soul or anything, it's talking about the depth of who you are as a human being within your personhood. And finally, I broke down, and I just started talking to God about where I've been, and I just wept. And at that moment... I didn't have to do anything. God just wanted me to talk to him. God just wants you guys to talk to him. Okay? You don't have to get up on stage here. You don't have to go preach to a bunch of people. But it starts with talking to him. And we'll get to that in a minute. So we know that Simeon talked with God because he knew who God was. And the Holy Spirit talked with him, obviously, because... There was no announcement posted on Facebook. Hey, watch our live feed. Jesus Christ is coming to get baptized in the temple or go through his purity ceremony. None of that was going on. 
So he was waiting for this consolation. So the Greek word, if you want to put that up there, and that'd be awesome, is uh, <laughs> paraklesis. I, I'm horrible at that little line above the top there. But it means consolation or comfort, solace, that which affords comfort or refreshment, thus of the messianic salvation. So the rabbis call the Messiah the counselor, the comforter. If you go when Jesus ascended to heaven, he sent who? He sent the paracletos. He sent the Holy Spirit, the comforter, our advocate. God's always taking care of you even if you don't know it. He sent his Holy Spirit to take care of the things that you don't even know how to take care of. Praise the Lord. I'm super glad for that. So Simeon was waiting for the coming of the Messiah. Simeon was anointed by the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit communicated with him. It's amazing. Verse 27, so he came by the Spirit in the temple. So Simeon was directed where and when to go to the temple by the Holy Spirit. This was not some happen circumstance. Simeon had a relationship with God. He was dedicated to the things of God. His life was given over to God, giving room for the Holy Spirit to direct Simeon as the Holy Spirit saw it. Simeon was able to hear. He was able to hear God. All of us have that ability to hear God. How many want to hear God? I want to hear God, man. I want to hear God as it pertains to everything in my life. But are we willing to hear God the way God wants to talk to us? Because I guarantee you, my own children don't want to hear what I have to say to them, but they want to hear me. It's not always presented the way they want it to be presented. When my dad talks to me, it's not always how I want him to talk to me, but you know what? I walk away going, man, I needed to hear that. Are we willing to hear from God? Are we willing to go where the Holy Spirit directs us? See, Simeon didn't just hear from God. He didn't just, I mean, the Holy Spirit told him that he was going to see the Savior, okay? But then the, then the Holy Spirit said, hey, come over to the temple today at this time. Are we willing to go as the Holy Spirit leads us? Continuing to read verse 27 through 29. That already says 1120? Wow. Is that real? Yes, it is. Okay. That means I have 10 minutes. Uh-oh. So when the parents brought in the child, Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. See here, Simeon not only saw Jesus with his own eyes, but he held him, embraced him, cradled him in his arms. And shouldn't this be how we connect with Jesus? Shouldn't that be how Brian connects with him? Shouldn't it be how you connect with him? How are you embracing Jesus today? How am I embracing Jesus today? So this relationship with him. You know, I talked generally about those things with people, and really there needs to be an explanation. What does that look like? Prayer. Are you praying? God's word says to pray unceasingly. What do you mean? What's unceasing? It means don't ever stop. Are you praying all the time? Spend time in the Word. Are you reading the Bible? Are you physically making your flesh sit down and read the Word of God? Because I guarantee you when you're like, oh, I'm going to take the Bible, I'm going to read it this whole year, just cover to cover, and the first time you read Genesis, maybe two days, and then you're like, oh, hey, what's on TV? Or, hey, I want to go do this. Or, hey, I want to go do that. Because our flesh, it's a dumb sheep, right? We need to be directed by the Lord. We need to make a purpose in our life to do that. Spend time with God. Spend time with his word. This is how God speaks to us in plain language. 
If you speak some weird language, I guarantee you there's a Bible probably translated. If there's not, there's a group that's translating the Bible for you right now. So Simeon came in direct contact with the true and living God, Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, and now he declared that he could depart in peace. So when we come into contact with Jesus, we should embrace him, we should hold him close, we should give him the place he deserves in our life, making him the center. Is Jesus the center of your life? If he's not, he needs to be. If he's not in my life, then he needs to be. What area in my life do I need to cast aside to let Jesus be the center? Verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. Verse 31, which you have prepared before the face of all peoples. I love this. Jesus was not hidden away in some special place. You know, there's some religions out there like Catholicism. They put Jesus on a pedestal. They put all the Saints on a pedestal, they put Mary on a pedestal, all these people are so great, the preacher's on a pedestal, shoot, I wish I could stand on this thing and give you an example, but I'd break it. But that's how it is, right? Certain religions, there's this, this secret gate that you can't get into. This secret place, shh, hold on, we gotta do a marriage here, you can't come in. That's how Mormons are. These secret things, those aren't, those are wrong. Jesus was not hidden away in some special place. He was out in the open. He was in the temple with all the other folks. This wasn't some special thing. Okay? This was a general scenario in the temple when other sinners were there. Oh my gosh, sinners. Who are those? When other sinners were there and Jesus was there and they were bringing Jesus in with all the other people. I know you guys are getting anxious. I just saw somebody look at the clock. I won't say your name, Joe. So the, here Jesus is with all the other parents that day, bringing their babies to be dedicated to the Lord, all the firstborn. Even from the beginning of Jesus' life, he took part in common human standards of his Jewish parents. Sinners at the temple dedicating their children according to the custom of the law giving their sin offerings and their burnt offerings. I'm going to stop there. Because I could probably go for another half hour. And I want to be fair to y'all. Can you put this line up there that says, please put this up here when I say this? It's down a ways, Austin. I want you guys to look at that. I just close everything off in your mind. Every distraction. And I want you to look at those words. And I want you to put your name where I is. I want you to focus on that for a second. in the latter part of this section of scripture to verse 40, there's this woman, Anna, who had been married, like I'd read, and she was divorced, and I mean, not divorced, she was a widow. 
and it says that she she prayed all the time and she fasted. And some commentator said that she she stayed in a in possibly an, an alms room or or had an apartment next to the temple. And I look at Anna's life. She could have been bitter. She could have been angry. Her husband was gone. She was old. She was 84 years old. She could have said, my life is over. My time here on earth has ended. I need to just retire and die. Where do you find Anna? You find her in the temple, day and night, worshiping her God before Jesus was even here. In an era where God hadn't spoken to anybody for 400 years. Says that she was a prophetess, so the Lord was starting to use her. There was a movement of God's spirit amongst his people. And it's interesting that Simeon comes by the Holy Spirit and Anna came. And neither of them were announced that Jesus was going to be there. That The scripture doesn't say that. I mean, we know that... I want to say farmers, but they're not farmers. The shepherds were telling people about that Jesus had come. But this was the long-awaited Messiah. And you have Simeon and Anna saying this, Here I am, Lord. Use me. In a time when God was silent. (laughs) What excuse do we have? We have his complete word. And we have the Holy Spirit. So I challenge you, and this challenges me today, for us to take this attitude with God, that you're eight, and I want to tell you this to you, and Gina and I are faced with this a lot. We don't have a lot of money, you know. I'm in a job right now. I sell credit card processing. I could make $100,000 a month if I wanted to, but my life would be dedicated to manna. God's provided small amounts that have kept us free to do ministry. Our agenda is not money. Our agenda is not anything else. But what does God, this is, this is the, the cry of my house. Here I am, God. Use us. May this be the cry of your heart today. So when comparing our attitudes with the Lord, your age doesn't matter. Your bank account doesn't matter. It's not important. Your education is minuscule. Your social status will not be a factor. And your job status is not a factor. The most in fact, important factor is this. Do everything you can to make time while you're on this earth, to make time and effort to be about God's business. Anna and Simeon did. And they didn't miss what God was doing because that's what they were doing. And I'm going to close with this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14 through through 16. It's one of my favorite scriptures. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. In other words, he is with God. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast to our confession. In other words, let's, let's hold on to it, the truth of it, not letting go of it. Excuse me. For we do not have a high priest. In other words, he's not way up there that we can't sympathize with our weaknesses, is what it says. But was in all points tempted as we are, yet without sin. I love how the writer of Hebrews says this. He doesn't end there. Because we could say, okay, he's without sin, but where's the application? And this goes back to what I was saying today. God is approachable. Verse 16 says this, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in a time of need. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much.
for your word, that it never turns back void, that it's sharper than any two-edged sword, God. Lord, one day we're going to see you face to face. Whether we know you or not, we will see you face to face. We will either be separated from you for eternity or we will be with you in your presence for eternity. And maybe there's some people here today, God, that they're questioning where they stand with you. Simeon and, and Anna knew where they stood with you. So I pray in the name of Jesus, if there's anybody here today, Holy Spirit, that you would draw them unto salvation, that they would come boldly to your throne room, Father God, in a time of need. And the time of need is when you don't know the Lord. Man, is there a greater time of need than when you don't know him? Whether you question whether you're going to be saved for eternity, whether you question when you pass away one day, are you going to be with God forever? So with all eyes closed and heads bowed, I just ask this question. Is there anybody in this room today that doesn't have a relationship with Jesus, that has a question whether they're going to heaven or not? And I don't mean questioning because you're dealing with things. I mean, you've never made a decision to ask Jesus into your heart. If that's you, raise your hand, and today can be the day of salvation. Anyone? Praise the Lord, we're all going to heaven. My next question is this, is there anybody here today that needs God to touch their life, that needs prayer? Raise your hand. And I'm gonna ask this, and Austin, we didn't prepare this, but I'm gonna ask you, if you need prayer, come forward. So we can pray for you. Pastor Lee, me, Don. Don can come up to the front. I'm gonna ask you, if you're an elder in this church, and you're a pastor, I want you to come up front here while Austin closes out this song. And if you need prayer, come forward. There's something about being open with needing prayer. Because you, when you take a step out of your seat, and I, I'm not anybody special, but God's word calls us to pray for one another, to confess our sins to one another, to, to mingle with each other, and, and to lay hands on each other, and to pray for each other. There's something supernatural about that. There's something special about that. And it's not to embarrass anybody. But if, if you want to do that, and you raise your hand, I challenge you to take that step of faith and to move your physical body so we can pray for you guys. I'm going to be up front here. Pastor Lee, if you can come up front too, please. Don, if you'd come up here, please, too, as an elder. 